All right, wonderful song there. Tell you what, if you can't preach after that, you can't preach. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, and a exciting week for our church, of course, Resurrection Sunday, and then uh, had a good, good service on Friday night, and if you could, please pray for our young people. We've got youth camp this, uh, this coming week as well, leaving tomorrow. And asking the Lord to really bless that and, and um, just speak to the hearts of our young people. And, and uh, just a lot of good things happening. We're glad for that. And again, if you're a guest of our church, we wanted to welcome you. And uh, glad that you can be here as well. And we're uh, certainly just uh, excited to uh, get to know you all. And uh, this morning I'm going to just preach on the, the topic here of come and see. And, um, you know, sometimes... You know what they say? They say that seeing is believing. And, you know, how many times perhaps um, have we spoken to our children about that? You'll see. You know, we try to tell them something and we, we tell them, well, you'll see one day. Because sometimes without seeing, they're not believing. And I remember even sometimes when, we, we, when our children speak to us, we don't believe them immediately. We have to see things. And I remember a couple of years ago where we were... Um, it was a it was a Easter day, and we had special thing, things planned. If uh, you know a little bit about church, Easter's always a big day. We we always want to bring our best foot forward, and we don't want anything to go wrong. And so we were just getting ready for uh, for the service, and and a couple of kids came running into the the church auditorium there in in Sydney, and. Our building over there were it was on stilts. It was on it wasn't on a foundation like this. It was on just little piers that raised the building a little bit. And so the kids came running in. They said, they said, Pastor, Pastor, there's there's something underneath the building. And you know that sounds familiar. Every kid goes, there's something under our bed, you know. And you don't often believe them. So I said, no, look, just we're about to get ready for the service. I said, no, Pastor, please, please come and come and have a look. There's something under the building. And I said, what is it? They said, there's a man under there. And I said, there's not a man under there. It's just shadows and things like that. And they said, no, no, Pastor, please, please, there is, there's someone under there. So I come running out, and I look under the building, and there was someone there. And, you know, the area that we live in, it's a bit of a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, bit of a transit area, and so there's a train station nearby. And so I got a big stick, and I, I poked him because I just thought, I hope he's not dead. You know, and so I poked him, and he turns around and he goes, can you leave me alone? I'm trying to sleep, and, you know, I disturbed this poor man's sleep, and, and so we, we dealt with him, we, we got him a, a bit of water, and he stayed for the service that day for Easter. But, you know, sometimes we're seeing is believing, and, you know, often when we consider all of the claims of Scripture, you know, I think sometimes we can wish to be transported to the time and the very moment of what's being described and, and so we can see for ourselves. And I can imagine just in my mind's eye just the, the amazing situation that these, uh, these ladies found themselves in as they went that early Sunday morning to go to the, the gravesite of the Lord Jesus. And, and what we find is the invitation here this morning, come see, come see. And, and during this season, when there's a lot of different things that we can think about Easter, we can think about all of the different things that it has become, 
what the Bible's inviting us to do is come and see. You know, sometimes we can try to explain some things and sometimes we can try to talk about what things are not. And yet so often what the Bible invites us to do is just come see for ourselves. Come see was the angel's response here. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And I think this morning too many are curious about what Easter is truly about without taking the time to actually know what it's all about. And I think sadly, ignorantly, our world has reduced Easter to a bit of symbolism, what, you know, what it could be and what it's meant to be, and all of these are quite ineffective. And so we ought to come to the source of the matter, the Word of God itself. And I want to tell you that this morning, as, a, as, as Christians, we ought, to, we ought to have great confidence that, that when those around the world are trying to ask about what Christianity all is all about, that, that we can come to, a, to the source of the truth and the truth itself, and we can come to it, and we can come to the world as well and say, come see. You know, I think sometimes in the aggression of the world, sometimes to deny and sometimes even cast doubt about the, the, the very things that for thousands of years many people have believed in, we can sort of come, uh, come to a place of retreating and sort of come to a place of, well, do we really know? And well, do we really understand? But, you know, the, the confidence of the Word of God is this. It says simply this, come see. You know, I, I think if there's many things that the Scriptures can claim and there's many things that we might not even completely understand, and yet I think the, the, the very crux of the matter, the very thing that so often many would question is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we can't really speak about Easter and we can't really speak about the story of Easter without really coming to the crescendo of the story and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we can talk a, a lot about his, the, the suffering of the Savior and all of those things that he went through, the, the crown of thorns, the beatings that he, he, uh, he had to endure for you and I, and we can talk a lot about that, and uh, we can certainly think about all of the, 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 the crowd that yelled out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and the unjust manner in which he was put on the cross, and, and, and we can talk all about his willingness because of his love for you and I, to, to be nailed there on the cross and to shed his blood for you and I. We can talk about the fact that this man, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple, uh, willingly took the body of Jesus and laid him in his own tomb. And we can talk a lot about the, those days in the grave that the Lord Jesus and, and then the disciples who at this time were, were scattered about because of fear. And we can talk all about that but if we don't talk about the resurrection, the story doesn't have its proper ending. Because actually, the ending of the story is one of great beginning for you and I. And there's no denying it. You know, sometimes we can, we can think of all of that and it's this, this claim of our Savior rising again and in our human minds, that seems so absurd. How can someone in death rise again? And we hear all of these, uh, these stories from different times of history about those things. But there's this very real time, this time of history, when the Lord Jesus himself took up his life again and rose again. And I'll tell you, this is the climax of the gospel story. The cross, 
Jesus' death, it was all necessary. We understand that it was to bring in the New Testament. Uh, Testament. There's, no, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no taking in the New Testament without the death of the testator. It was necessary for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be spilt for the atonement of our sins. And we understand the necessity of that, but as necessary was His resurrection. His resurrection was the proof of death's defeat, his resurrection and escape from the grave means that we can have our hope surely resting on him. And that without the resurrection, there would be no true salvation. And you, we need to understand that the Bible doesn't shy away from that fact. In fact, the Bible tells us, come see. He's saying we don't, there's, no, there's no, nothing to hide here. He's saying, come see. And maybe this morning as we go through this, Maybe today you've been wondering. Maybe you've been wondering what Christianity is all about. You're wondering what Easter is all about. I want to tell you that the the crux of the matter is that Jesus rose again. That is the crux of the matter. And the Bible's inviting us this morning, just like the angel did in in that day with those ladies. The Scripture's inviting us to come see. And what we're going to see is there's there's three things that, that we can take away from the story of the resurrection. And firstly, we're going to see that, 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 that the invitation says, come see the place where the Lord lay. As they came to that, uh, that tomb and that they saw the stone rolled away, they saw those uh, angelic beings there sort of just standing around waiting for these ladies to come and ask the question. They were assured with these words, come see the place where the Lord lay. The tomb is empty. And why is that important? Why is that important? Because firstly, it was something that Jesus claimed. It was something that he claimed. And what that means is if the tomb is empty and he did rise again, then all of his claims or his revelations are proven to be true. You know, if you ever read through all of the things that Jesus said in his life, there's a lot of great teachings there. There's a lot of things that were actually countercultural to even the, the, the norms of society in that day. And even in our society today, he said things like, turn the other cheek. When he said, like, if your enemy smites you, actually, just turn the other cheek. He, he said to us that it's, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. And all of those things that were countercultural, you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you read through the Beatitudes, and you marvel at the depth of his teaching. You marvel at things like, he, he says, you know, if you look at a woman, then you commit adultery in your heart already. He's saying there's a greater standard that we don't even understand, that I have expectation of you. And he was quite countercultural even in that day. And, and yet, out of all of the claims and all of the teachings that Jesus had, it was the very claim that he would rise again. That, that was very much a, a confusion it was very much to the, even his own disciples, those that, that, that said were, were the ones here on earth that followed him all around. Even to them, this was something that was, boy, out of any claim, you can take your life and, and bring it up again. The fact that these women came to anoint his body in the context of the, these disciples, of those that followed him, even as they were scattered around for fear of their lives, it doesn't mean that this was completely unexpected. In fact, Jesus mentioned and even at times forewarned his disciples 
of his impending death, but also his consequent resurrection. In fact, if you read verses 11 to 15, notice that even those that were his enemies were, were aware of these, uh, these claims. Look at verse 15, uh, 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They needed somehow an explanation of this claim that Jesus had been resurrected. And so for fear, what they did was they bribed those soldiers who were at watch at the grave. They bribed them to say, hey, make sure you tell everyone that his disciples had taken away the body. That the thing that they claimed, even though it's come true, we've got to explain it somehow because we can't explain it any other way. We're going to have to explain it this way. His disciples took the body. His disciples took the body. And what I'm saying is the fact that his enemies responded this way, involving the government, it meant that his claims were actually, they were quite well known. And the fear of it coming to pass meant that they had to explain it somehow. All this proved that what Jesus had revealed about himself, it was all true. Because you see, if he can, he can prove this, then we've got to believe him in all of his other claims too. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the fact of the resurrection is not extraordinary. It is in accord with what we who believe at all believe to be the uniform law of life, that death does not touch it. The witnesses to the resurrection of Christ were unprejudiced, unexpected, incredulous, and their honesty is not doubted even by skeptical criticism. Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, the resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of all miracles. And what I'm saying is right through Scripture, right through the stories of the Gospels, we see that he claimed that he would rise again. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 6. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, and even the New Testament authors refer to this. Hebrews chapter 6. And notice verse 17. And here's, here's, here's why this is important. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil whither the forerunners for us entered in even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying is there's two immutable truths about God, and one of those is, is he cannot lie. And you know, Jesus made great claims. He claimed that he and his Father are one. You know what he was claiming there in that statement? That he is God. And so if, if he can claim that, and he can prove it by resurrection, then, then God, who cannot lie, 
He's got to be telling the truth. He's got to have all of those things that he claimed must be true. And, you know, right through Scripture, look at Matthew chapter 16. Go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 now. Right through his life, he foreshadowed these things to his disciples. In verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show to, unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and notice this, and be raised again the third day. In fact, eight times in the Gospels, Jesus taught this to his disciples. Look at John chapter 2. Look at John chapter 2. I want to prove to you and show you the, the times. In John chapter 2, and notice verse 19. So in verse 18, Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And they were just questioning his ability to, uh, to, to, uh, to perform miracles. In verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. You know what they were thinking was he was, he was talking about the temple, the, the temple that was before them. He was really speaking about his body. And so even there, Jesus claims that. Look at Mark chapter 14. Look at Mark chapter 14. Thanks for turning there. Look at Mark chapter 14. And notice verse 55. Notice this. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, Notice what they heard. So now this isn't just his disciples, this is those outside of that. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. There were conflicting reports of what he had said and conflicting understanding of what he meant by that. And so it was quite well known that Jesus had made these claims that that, that after three days after dying, he was going to rise again. Even those at the crucifixion, look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And notice verse 36. Read a couple of verses here. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And his superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And so even that thief, he understood that Jesus was going to rise again. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today that shalt thou be with me in paradise. So even that one, he, in his, all of his agony, and, and we understand Jesus' agony, but there were two others there that day. Even one of them who spoke to him, believing now, he understood, he said to Jesus, you know, when you 
rise is basically what he was saying. Today. He understood that at some point as he was claiming that he would rise again. And even those at his crucifixion heard and understood his claim. And what I'm saying is if he claimed that and that's true, then all of his claims must be true. And I want to remind you that he claimed that he was God. In John 5, 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In fact, this is what made the Pharisees mad. This is what caused them to even bring Jesus to this place of crucifixion. Why? Because they accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of this claim that it couldn't be true. He said in John chapter 10, 30, I and my Father are one. And that's a pretty outrageous claim when you think about this man who's walking around. And sure, he performed miracles. Sure, he seemed to be more than just a teacher. He seemed to have some great power. And yet this claim that he is God. He, he claimed that he was the resurrection and the life. In John eleven twenty five 25 to 26, Jesus saith, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then the question, believest thou this? Speaking there to Martha, this claim meant that he had ultimate power of life, that he would rise again, that he is the very God himself. And all of these claims that Jesus, it was going to be predicated on this if he can prove that he would rise again. If he would rise again. And you know what else, friends? He claimed that he was the only way to heaven. See, in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, that statement is pretty exclusive, isn't it? He didn't say, I am one of the ways. He didn't say that I am the way and the... No, he said, I am the way the truth, the life. And there was no, no, nothing, to, uh, nothing really to question there. There was no ambiguity in the statement. It was just plainly this. He is the only way to heaven. And if, if the resurrection is true, and if we observe, we come and see where he, the Lord lay, where he was, and he's no longer there, the tomb is empty then all of his other claims must be true. And so what the, what the resurrection does is it proves that all of his revelation is true. It proves that whether you like it or not this morning, whether you think otherwise or not, the only way to heaven is the Lord Jesus himself. And you might be here. You might be arguing in your mind, in your heart. You might be saying, but pastor, you don't understand. I've been religious all of my life. And, and I've, I've, the balances of my life, I'm sure, I've, all of my good has outweighed my bad. I want to tell you, there's no other way. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, well, it's got to be. That, that if I'm just a good person and I, I just do all of these good works and, and it just should be that I'm allowed to heaven. Listen, it's only Jesus. The resurrection happened and so all of his claims are true. He says, come see where the Lord lay. Come see that for the fact that he claimed it is true, he has risen again. And so his revelations have been proven true. But you know what else it, 
the good news is that it also means that his redemptive powers are on full display. Because in verse 7, go back to Matthew chapter 28. Here's the only explanation. It wasn't that his disciples took the body. Even that witnesses to the fact, because really it's pretty easy, isn't it, to prove where's the body? It's the proverbial smoking gun, isn't it? And they couldn't find it. And so the angel says, and go quickly and tell his disciples, notice this, that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Now he's saying there that he's not only risen, he's risen from the dead. He truly died and he truly rose again. The empty tomb meant that Jesus is able to save. You know, the issue with salvation prior to Christ was that no one had the ability to save. See, humanity was incapable to pay for their own death, let alone others. You know, there's, there's no one here in this room, there's no one here on earth that hasn't, doesn't have a sin debt. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, all of us here, we've got a debt to pay. You understand that you can't pay someone else's debt if you have debt yourself. You know, it's like, it's like someone coming to the courthouse and you come in and you've got your own speeding ticket and you look over to, to me and say, hey, I want, to pay, I want to pay past this speeding ticket, but you haven't paid your own. What do you think the judge is going to say? Hey, pay your own first. <laughs> and, and too many times, you know, we, there's, there's a, there, sometimes we think, well, if, 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 if I, I, I came from a certain lineage, if I came from a certain pedigree, then perhaps God will let me in. And, and listen, no man can, can allow you or get you to heaven except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that lived a perfect life. He's the only one that, that lived uh, in, in such a manner that he was a perfect sacrifice for you and I. And the good news is that that was his mission. See, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. All of us here at, at one point prior to salvation, prior to knowing Christ as our Savior, we all had a sin debt to pay, but aren't you glad that he rose again and proving that he can pay yours. You know, in Matthew chapter 27, look at verses 38 to 44. Notice what the Bible says here. When Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Notice the reference again to those claims. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And you know, the, the, the human... The, the human condition wants to prevent death. They thought, you know, the only way he's going to save his life if he saves it while he has life. And you know what Jesus did though? He, 
we understood his plan. He had to die. He had to be a sacrifice. He willingly laid down his life, but unbeknownst to them and unbelievably to them, he could actually pick up his life from death. <laughs> and what that, that means is that not only, not only can he save you, uh, not only is he able, he, he demonstrated that by saving and grabbing his own life and in his own power rising again. And because of that, then we can have full assurance this morning that, that him dying and then him being buried and him rising again, even though he was disdained and even though he was un, there were those who didn't believe and those who accused him of all manner of things. But the fact of the resurrection is really the, the, the very proof that he can save anyone. The empty tomb was problematic because it proved he could save. He could save. And the reality was Jesus laid down his life willingly, bearing our sins on his body. And yet his resurrection meant that he was worthy to pay for the sins of humanity and that death had no hold on him. Which means this, that he can save us from death and the grave. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And wonderful passage of scripture, one of my favorite passages to read and read over again and in particularly in this season but in 1 Corinthians 15 and these these poetic words that scriptures record for us in verse 55 O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that is, why that is? Because he's been resurrected. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And he's saying there that he's, he's overcome death. That's why the Bible tells us that, that we who are in Christ, we sorrow unlike any others and you see, even those that are loved ones who have gone on and, and have passed from this life, we have the great, uh, the, the great uh, promise of the resurrection one day. And, and you, you know, we might sorrow for, for the fact that we're separated for a time, but listen, hallelujah, today we see them again. You understand that we have that promise. Why? Because of the resurrection. And He can save from death and the grave, Jesus' resurrection, it really made a way for us to be able to be victorious over death and the grave. It also means that we're saved from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. You know why death is just a real thing in our world today? Because death came upon all men for all have sinned. You know, we live in a time where you know, we're doing everything we can to avoid death. And that's a human thing, isn't it, to survive? We're doing all we can. We, we have all of the, the medicines. We have all of the, 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 the science today. But you know what? It still can't prevent death. Why? Because it's a penalty. It's, it's a payment. There's a, there's a requirement. You see, it was by one man's sin. We understand the the story of Adam and Eve, and Adam willingly, he sinned, and because of that, plunged all of humanity. You know why we, have, we sin? Because we are sinners. We're sinful in our nature. And there's a time where we, 
understand that and there's a time in our lives where we understand right from wrong and, and yet the Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know that perfect standard, we can summarize it in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is just really a summary of God's standard in which He will, if you fulfill it, will allow you into heaven. And yet, the Bible tells us, none of us, it's impossible for us. In fact, the Bible tells us if we offend in one point, we're guilty of all. You know, all of us here, none of us is exempt. Everyone around the world that's ever been born, that's ever going to live, we're all going to fail. We're all going to come short of the glory of God. And we have a sinfulness that we can't possibly overcome. And that sin brings a payment that we couldn't possibly pay. And yet Jesus' death and re resurrection, it gave us a way. You know, it saves us from an inevitable destruction because as part of that penalty, we have this place called hell in Revelation 20 verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What death really is, it's eternal separation from God. And friend, if you're here today and there's never been a time where you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible's very clear. There's a penalty to pay. There's, there's a destruction. There's this very real place called hell. It's a, it's a place of eternal torment. It's a place of eternal darkness. It's a place of eternal fire. It's a place that even, even uh, th that one who was there called out and says, Father Abraham, could you send someone to tell my brethren so that they would avoid this place? And listen, if you were there and you saw that, you would do all you can to ensure that your loved ones would avoid that place. Listen, they can avoid it. You, you, there is a way. And the way of that is the one who overcame death. The one who, who, who after three days rose again and, and proved that the grave will not hold him. That death isn't the final thing. And, and through him, we can have eternal life. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And so if the resurrection isn't real, no one will tell you, let's go home, let's pack it up because it's not worth it. <laughs> but listen, he did. And because of that, we have great news. We have good news. And because of that, we see his full redemptive powers on display. And then lastly, this morning, I want to show you, look at, look at Matthew 28 again. And I love this. In verse 7, he says, He is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Here's the last thing. Come and see. Come see. What it was, we find his reassuring presence to his followers. In verse 9, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by the feet. And worshipped him. They shall see me. They shall see him. And we read that 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 the, the many times after his death and resurrection, he appeared over and over again to his disciples. In fact, the eyewitness account is recorded for us in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Look at First Corinthians fifteen again. I know we were just there. 
But look at the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto him, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. And that He was seen, notice this, of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that He was seen above of a hundred brethren, five hundred brethren at once, of whom, notice this, the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. That's a Bible euphemism for they died. But we're saying that over 500 brethren at once, and he's saying that even those, even some who are still present at the writing of this letter that many years ago, later, they were still present, eyewitnesses of this very real event in history. There were those who were, who were witnesses of that, and it was written about in Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And that, that presence, you know, we sung that song, He lives. How do we know? Because He lives within my heart. And we understand that, that at, the, at that point at there in, in, um, in, in Bethany, He gathers His, his uh, disciples together. We learned about that a couple of weeks ago. And we see them uh, witness His ascension into heaven. We understand that, that the Lord Jesus will come again one day. And we have a living Savior. And we, because of that, then the Bible tells us we have a lively hope. You know what that is? It's a living hope. Listen, we don't have a dead faith. We have a living faith. And we can go about and we can go to every other tomb of every other faith and every other religion. And we're going to find bones. We're going to find a body. We're going to find a tooth. You know what we're going to find in Jesus' grave? Nothing. Why? Because He's alive. He's alive. I want to tell you, that's reassuring. He, he came to assure us. He, in fact, He tells us in John chapter 14 where, where I am. There you may be also. Can't tell you how many times I've sat by someone and their loved ones who just just departed from this life. How many times I've sat with a grieving family as they've the realization of the death of their loved one just sinks in and just watching their face. And I, I just remember so many times the comfort of the scriptures in John chapter 14. He goes and prepares a place for us. He says, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> you know, death, as unsavory as it is and as painful as it is to go through, the Bible tells us to let not our heart be troubled. Why? Because we have a living Savior. Because we have the fact that we have, he, He's assured us that Him being alive means we have that, that confidence in Him and he says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know why? Because he's living. But you know, he also, he gave us assurance of his presence. He gave us a message though. 
in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I just read this this morning in my Bible reading. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Hey, listen, you know why? Again, we didn't take the time, but if you observe the, the disciples at his death, remember Peter was the was often the spokesman of the, of the group. And what did he do? He denied Jesus, right, over and over again. He, he wept bitterly. He, he went, we, we know Thomas, doubting Thomas, who wasn't even with the group, even after they had scattered and come back together. He had to touch Jesus' hands and feet. And we understand that they were in a mess. You, 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 we find really the last chapter of John, Peter, along with his, the other disciples, were at the seashores of Galilee and Right there, Jesus had to come again and appear before them and assure them. And he challenged Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And they, they, the, the people knew. Those around understood who the disciples were. They understood the place they found them in, in, in disarray, in doubt, really not knowing what the future held for them. And yet, you know why they were amazed? Because later on we see here those two Peter and John, you know, Peter preaches at Pentecost and a great multitude gets saved. Peter suddenly, that, that coward who cowered away at the death of his, his Lord, suddenly with great boldness, suddenly with great power, suddenly without any doubt, goes and he preaches. And you imagine the, the difference, it was chalk and cheese, it was day and night. Why? Because of the resurrection. That's why. You know, I, I think sometimes we go around and we're a little cowardly about our faith and we're uh, really, I, I think sometimes forgetting that, that whilst we don't have Jesus, we have Jesus in our heart. He's in heaven. He's making intercession for you and I. And the re- risen Savior is the reason why we can go boldly with a message. That's the reason why we can go. That's the reason why there are those missionaries on the field who, for, for no other reason, they, they can go boldly for the proclamation of the gospel in an unknown, uh, unknown language to them at times, in a place where they know no one. It's because they know, they know, they know they have a resurrected Savior. Listen. Listen, we, we don't place enough importance and we don't place enough faith at times to really grasp how important it was that Jesus rose again. The reason why we have a message and the reason why Peter and John were bold to proclaim because they had been with Jesus. Because Jesus rose again. And the reality is that he gave us that assurance. Why? Because we need it. Because he's given us a mission. He's given us a mission to reach the world. And you know, I don't know about you, I think that's really hard. And so what does he do? He gives us the power to do so. You understand that when we go and we see someone call out to God for salvation, it was none of us. It was because of the reality of a Lord and Savior who willingly laid down his life who was buried in a tomb and then in his power rose again. And that's the significance 
And that's what he says here. The, the angel said, come see. That, that wasn't just a, a casual fleeting invitation. That was proof that everything Jesus said was true. That, that because of that, then actually we have this great assurance of his presence. And that actually we can go with great power living today above sin. Why? Because he overcame death and he overcame the grave. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for the, Lord, the wonderful truth of the empty tomb. The wonderful reality that, Lord, we have a risen Savior today who sits on the right hand of the throne of the Father. Who, Lord, is just watching and, and, and seeing the time in which he's going to call us up and then he'll return. And, Father, thank you, dear God, that, Lord, we have the assurance of a living hope because we have a living Savior. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to go with boldness, Lord, as, as your people. Lord, not, not, not feeling like we have nothing to, prove, uh, nothing, to, nothing to base our faith on, but, Lord, that we have a, a very real account of history that tells us that our God, our Savior, is able to overcome even the greatest enemy of this of, of of death and the grave. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, then to understand, dear God, the, the, the reality of that in our lives each and every day. I pray, Lord God, that you would help those who are here, Lord, who've perhaps never really considered the claims of Christ. And yet, Lord, as we understand it, he claimed to rise again, and he did. And he claimed to be the only way to heaven and because of that, then it must be true. I pray that you'd help each one here, Lord, to understand their need of you and understand, dear God, where they, would, uh, where they need to place their faith. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, the piano is going to begin to play. And